Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part two of the episode on grief and trauma. Part one dealt with grief and this part two, we're actually going to speak more about trauma with Dr. Uh, Gordon Donner. Like I said with the very first episode, that you do not have to treat it as a diagnosis uh, process, but um, it is more for knowledge purposes. And whenever you discover that there's a number of things about your life or in your life that you feel like needs a certain alignment or better clarity or whatever the case, or you feel like the episode may have triggered, you know, psychological um, challenges or whatever, please make sure that you consult with your doctor or your psychologist or you speak to counselors or you speak to religious leaders for those who really believe in, you know, the help or who get their help from religious leaders or those who get their help from traditional healers. But that's about it. And um, Dr. Donia, welcome to part two of the episode. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much. And i um, happy to be here again. Um, hello to all our listeners. Right. So today, Doc, we're talking about uh, trauma, you know, and I know that we may make a bit of uh, references from where we left off uh, last week, but there's actually really nothing wrong with that. Um, if we can just um, kickstart from this, let's let's speak about trauma. Um, um, like the concept, the concept, what frame are we working on? today when we speak of trauma? For me, I see it as a, a really difficult concept for many people to understand. Um, and even the, the, the explanation or definition of it um, points to that fact. For example, uh, you know, the APA or the American Psychological Association um, defines trauma as an emotional response uh, an emotional response to a terrible event okay so there's really you see how difficult it is to conceptualize it uh, so uh, talk about an emotional response to any terrible situation to the person mm. so for example an accident um, a rip or natural disaster um, which is significant enough to precipitate both emotional and physical response um, in the person or reaction in the person. So that's that's by way of what trauma is. And there are quite different types of trauma. Uh, and simply put, these are stressful events in mm -hmm. the person's life. Um, some people would develop symptoms that you know, resolve within a short period of time. Others would have symptoms that persist uh, or diff challenges and difficulties that will persist over a longer period of time. Right. So we do have, for example, you know, depends on how you want to look at it. We have acute trauma, which is um, trauma that results from a single stressful or dangerous event. Um, and then we have chronic trauma that results from repeated and prolonged exposure to a highly stressful event. So, for example, somebody who lives in a domestic violence situation mm -hmm. um, or in an abusive environment, I call it toxic environment, and is exposed to the same kind of abuses and 
toxic situation over and over again would, would come up with chronic trauma. And then we have what you call complex trauma, where the person uh, is... Um, sorry, Doc, if, before you can move on to the next one, if you can give an example of the first... The acute one. So it's a single stressful event. So you're right. involved in a one-time... Well, like, I give a personal experience. I, I was involved in an accident many years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the next couple of days to weeks... Um, I got really frightened about the motor vehicle. <laughs> I right. didn't want to travel yeah. in it. Uh, and then when I had no choice but had to travel in a vehicle, the least sound, I was hyper-vigilant, you know, um, the least amount of noise, and my heart begins to race, and mm. I'm looking over my shoulder, and I'm sweaty, you know, things like that. Mm. But that, that did not last long. Um, and then, you know, again, confidence back. Uh, so majority of people who suffer trauma would recover spontaneously okay. without any any troubles. But there are those who would, the um, minority who would stay on and symptoms will linger on and they get troubles from it. It impact their psychological well-being and sometimes their, even their physical well-being. It shapes their worldview. Um, it impacts the way they cope uh, with with life stresses, and it that it does impact their functionality as well. Mm-hmm. So it it can be a far-reaching um, impact on on those people. Yeah, but yeah. most people would naturally uh, recover without any further problems. I must say that the reaction to trauma or the stressful, terribly stressful event is a normal, natural res- response. So, and anybody, and it differs from person to person. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't occur in any particular order. Uh, it has to do with the person's own life skills, experiences, upbringing, mm-hmm. um, home environment and you know attachment issues and their perception of accessibility to help supports around them uh, and and invariably community response to the to the particular uh, stressor for example um, you have a, a a young girl a, a child the girl child who has been sexually molested by a close family, and we we do hear these um, frequently. Yeah. Uh, and she first it messes up her mind as to uh, who she can confide in. Yeah. Um, she gets scared. She's a, she's terribly I'll use the word traumatized. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know where to go, and finally get. Uh, finds her nerves to report that or tell the mom that this is what is happening and the society around you know blames the the, the girl um, turns around and say you're lying mm. and all of these so it's the community response will also shape how they react right yeah and whether they come out of it successfully or not will also be impacted by the immediate response of the people around them. Mm. Yeah. Um, so acute 
chronic, chronic yeah. and then complex trauma. Complex, yeah. Then um, then we also have what you call secondary trauma. And with this form, uh, a person develops the symptoms from close contact with someone who has experienced a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. So the person did not experience it themselves. Uh, but by association with somebody who has experienced it uh, and maybe told their story, they get horrified by it. And that could also traumatize them by extension. Now, um, so symptoms could range from mild to severe. Um, and I've already talked about the factors that could determine how the symptoms are expressed in terms of your own socialized socialization, cultural upbringing, um, life skills that you have or don't have, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, accessibility to help and supports and community responses. All of these are factors that will shape the way people uh, respond to trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the emotional or psychological responses may be one of fear, one of sadness, one of confusion, denial even, um, numbness where the person is detached from the, uh, the, the, the very emotions and thoughts uh, and cannot feel the like they are emotionally dead in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes, interestingly, people who experience, depending on the nature of the trauma, might even feel guilt about it. Um, some also become very irritable, easily, you know, gets triggered and flips, lashes out, uh, Many people also have cognitive problems like difficulty in concentrating. Then we have people who somatize their their traumatic experiences like, you know, bodily complaints. They become preoccupied with bodily symptoms, headaches, um, sleep problems, um, gastrointestinal issues like, you know, even diarrhea or constipation. Uh, people tend to complain about heart problems or cardiovascular, you know, issues, and, and some also, you know, com- uh, present to the dermatologist with skin problems. All of these are an outcome or a result of the stressful event that they are expressing in various forms uh, physically. So, I think people know about the emotional psychological response, mm-hmm. or there is an um, a disproportionate attention or focus on the emotional and psychological response, but there are physical responses, and I've mentioned uh, those those um, uh, ones, few of them. I must add that there's also the uh, the expression or the feeling of fatigue, um, always feeling tired, and you know, la- uh, you know, lack of energy. Um, and then sweaty, really. And it's all maybe from the anxiety that it provokes. Yeah, and I talked about feeling jumpy, you know, um, and I, I used my example. Um, 
I was uh, I was in secondary school. We call it high school here. Yeah. And um, whenever I, I was in a car and it fell in a pothole or something, I kind of jumped. What's happening? Because the 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 uh, events preceding uh, that accident was the car hit a pothole, and, you know, mm. rolled over. Uh, so it it stayed in in uh, it stayed in my mind and whenever I was at that time it lasted for about a couple of weeks less than a month actually but it was a frightening time for me and uh, if you had to join the school bus to school uh, that was that short that period of travel was was a, a torment right. that's what people who suffer trauma um, feel I wonder whether. So if you compare acute and chronic, um, I wonder whether when they are not dealt with the severity going forward, how 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 does it differ? I think that it it, uh, I think th- this is my opinion, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily the key one, mm-hmm. but I think. And I believe that the stage at which you experience trauma also determines um, whether you come out of it or not. And by extension, also whether it becomes severe enough or not. Obviously, then the, the length of exposure to that trauma would also determine the severity and so on, and whether there are multiple traumas. Mm. So somebody who is experiencing bullying, uh, experiencing sexual assault, um, exposed to uh, physical violence, um, some natural disaster, uh, in some kind of toxic environment. These are a lot of things happening to this person in succession or at the same time in various combinations and permutations. This person would experience uh, a far greater impact or of the traumatic situation than somebody like in my situation who just had an acute trauma Mm -hmm. from a single event Mm -hmm. um so there are causes of trauma and i've mentioned a few in my attempt to explain Mm -hmm. uh, you know in your the question you asked me so bullying harassment assault uh, be it sexual physical um sudden loss of a loved one a top we um, I gave an example uh, in the, in the part one about when we talked about grief, yeah. uh, where my um, um, former teacher, uh, the consultant pediatrician, lost his wife in very tragic circumstances. Now, apart from the grief reaction, would be trauma, mm. or could be trauma, because of that sudden loss and the horrific nature of it even though he wasn't they could um potentially develop trauma out so of would you would you locate trauma in any of the stages of grief remember we spoke about um yeah Ross, so uh, yeah. cobbler ross's model, model yeah. um not 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 exactly but there could be an overlap i mean um when somebody experiences a traumatic event they've lost something Mm. Uh, you know people who've been in, in war war zones and war breakouts and they've lost everything they've worked for 
everything they, they loved and everyone they loved. They've lost close family members. Sometimes people are just alone. They've lost every relative they can uh, and social support network they can fall on. So apart from the fact that they are grieving or they would go into a grief situation, is that traumatic event and its impact on their life. Mm-hmm. So this person would actually have a, a, a complex overlap of both reactions occurring in them. Uh, so that is why you'd find the reactions in to trauma tends to uh, overlap with some of the stages and some of the outcomes of grief, like denial, fear, uh, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. and so on. So the, the, the emotional response would, would tend to overlap, but not necessarily because it is trauma uh, or, or grief, but there is some blurred lines between the two when, when you're looking at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somebody uh, like this uh, um, former teacher of mine um, obviously was in a grief stages, but the impact of that was a, a very stressful situation and, and a horrific one. So he would be traumatized, mm-hmm. especially so when he was just with, uh, I don't know if listeners will recall, I mentioned that he was home with the wife and uh, the wife had to go drop their daughter uh, uh, at a church program and then wait for her. And then she was tragically killed whilst mm-hmm. waiting uh, in the, in the, uh, on the church premises and by the church building, you know, knocked by an inexperienced driver um, who slammed into her. So the, the, this man is going to experience both grief and, and a traumatic mm-hmm. reaction. So you'd see a lot of overlap uh, of the symptoms or the responses to, to the event. Yeah. Many people talk about, you know, discovering at a later age when they are old that they cannot progress in life, they cannot make any progress in life simply because of past experiences from childhood. Um, and I would love us to sort of now speak maybe much more to issues happening in childhood that are most likely to affect one when they are older. What what could be part of the things that we need to sort of pay attention to? Obviously, in addition to things such as child molestation or being exposed to a violent family where you always see either dad or is beating up mom, and, and and what sort of effects does those things, those episodes have on one, you know, when they grow up? So you'd find that any toxic kind of environment, um, the child might not necessarily observe, you know, parents hitting each other or in, in uh, physical fights, but... Um, use of foul language, you know, um, raising of tone, voice, speaking over each other, screaming at each other. Um, a really hostile environment, I would say, uh, where the child perceives it as a threat to themselves. To them, that would be traumatic in, enough. Uh, things like attachment, uh, where there is some emotional neglect, uh, from the parents, especially in these days, a uh, father and mother are 
out of home most of time, um, you know, either working shifts or otherwise um, long hours and so on. Uh, the child might be deprived emotionally and develop attachment issues. These tend to impact um, their personality development and later will become issues for them um, in, in adult life. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, I did mention also that the state at, at which you experience trauma can determine the long-term impact. So typically, if you're an adult, uh, chances that you recover from those traumas are higher. Uh, children, if you're a child and you experience trauma, one of the things that it impacts is your ability to regulate your emotions like sadness, anger, uh, your moods, and so on. So these, ch and these children grow up with a maldevelopment of these critical functions that make us who we are. And therefore, they struggle to also, especially where there is neglect, they also struggle to uh, struggle with self-identity. Um, a child who has been sexually molested uh, might question their sexuality, um, be confused about the whole thing, and then it gets messed up. Eventually, they don't even know uh, which of the sexes they belong to or who, which they could identify with. And then it tends to give them a lot of problems growing up. Um, so emotional dysregulation, as we call it, is the inability to regulate normally your emotions and your feelings. Um, they get dissociated. Their emotions are detached from uh, the reality. They are unable to feel. Um, you know, some of them when they present to you in the late teens or early adulthood, they get triggered by you know circumstances and they are unable to feel so you'd find some of them try to um, dissipate these emotional numbness by inflicting pain on themselves so they feel something mm. uh, so there's other things is that uh, things are especially in the in in childhood these things that happen to them are out of their control and one of the things that later on they feel they are in control of is to be able to inflict some kind of pain on themselves and to be in control um, what, what do you mean some inflict some kind of pains on them so I'm thinking about is, is this something close to self-cutting or something yes yeah, so they can yes whatever. they can um inflict pain by various means including you know cutting themselves and um, various other ways, burning, you know, mm -hmm. uh, using butts of cigarettes or other forms of burning themselves and so on, just to feel. One of the things that they tell you, I want to feel something because they are so numb, unable to express. Um, so many people believe that uh, one way of dealing with trauma is to talk about it mm -hmm. um, but the research evidence has shown that those who don't talk about it uh, don't suffer adversely more than 
those who talk about it. So, Why is that the case, though? Well, I don't, I don't have any specific uh, explanation, but it used to be that we believed erroneously or falsely that when you talk about it, then you are relieved of the impact. But it is not as as that that people who don't even talk about it also go through. Um, they're no, they are no worse off than those who talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let me put it that way. Um, I, but I think that the the event itself is is not as important as the coping strategies to deal with the aftermath of whatever stressful uh, situation, so that you can manage your symptoms, uh, you know, effectively and not be. Um, and not be disabled. Mm-hmm. I think one other area we need to, you know, I need to touch on is a PTSD or what they call post-traumatic stress disorder. And these are trauma symptoms that have persisted or get worse uh, over a prolonged period of time. Okay. Uh, um, so it is a, you know, the long-term effect of trauma that people tend to, especially people who um, experience complex trauma. They are more prone to developing PTSD in a complex type of PTSD where a myriad of behavioral responses and cognitive difficulties and even sometimes psychotic psychotic symptoms like, you know, hallucinating or hearing voices uh, or, you know, having strange thoughts um, as part of the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I did talk about the impact on on children where um, it impacts their personality and other developments. So the child can grow up um, with personality disorders eventually uh, or anxiety and mood problems, um, you know, and cognitive issues, difficulty concentrating, fidgeting, very irritable. Um, They are People who who experience trauma could also have um, a, a distorted view of the external world, where they 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 are not future focused because you know things have happened to them suddenly, they are unable to see the benefit of you know planning for the future. So some of them could live quite a reckless type of lifestyle or use substances to cope. Um, I talked about self-inflicted pain for them, for people who suffered trauma and are experiencing ongoing symptoms of trauma uh, so that they can feel. Others would, that's probably a coping mechanism also, um, but others would also want to cope with using drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol uh, and so on. And we know there's consequences of that over time. Um, initially it might be something that is helpful to them but eventually in the longer term they develop addictive uh, addictive behaviors and you know dependency on these substances and it also produces its own problems in addition to they suffering from the trauma what could be the way to sort of help people who struggles with uh Trauma. I know that uh, you sort of keep touching base, but we're going back and forward 
in terms of our conversation, but what would you say other ways? And I'm thinking because some of the topics, dog, they're very complex and some of them, they're very sensitive to an extent that uh, I believe even clinically, you know, you might be scared to say them because you might face uh, critici- criticisms or whatever the case. I'm thinking particularly uh, earlier on, you, you alluded about, you know, someone who might, might, a child gets molested and then later on struggles with issues of um, sexuality. And I mean, there's a lot of uh, people and friends today that we see later on, they end up, you know, saying they're homosexuals or whatever the case. But you find that a, a number of the decisions, let me not say the decisions, because you see, that's what, that's what I meant when I said some of the topics are very yes. difficult is because yes. they might anger someone out there. Um, uh, so to say, and I mean, also with the hype of cancel culture, you know, they'll say you said something which is out of line or whatever the case. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that some people you find that then they are confused because they've been through that stage of, you know, they've been molested before. And then later on, the, you know, deciding in terms of sexuality becomes a bit of an issue. You cannot sort of speak over those people because it will look like you're trying to correct, you know. Yeah, because... Um it's not only in the area of sexuality, but I think it's even in the um, interpersonal relationship with others. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a bit of confusion there where they themselves um, might put out very confusing signals um, where somebody could potentially want the comp- the companionship of another, but because of their behavior, they actually push the person out. Um, also, they have they are quite sensitive to some of them may be quite sensitive to abandonment, mm-hmm. um, and then might have difficulty interpreting certain cues of compassion, uh, depending on the nature of the the trauma that they experience. So it's not only in the area of sexuality. But in you know interpersonal relationship, um, and in the way they communicate with the world, it could be a bit confused. That is why now there is this whole you know talk and um, um, talk about trauma informed care. So you need to identify the symptoms that are coming out as a result of trauma. Mm-hmm. Let's not let's not. Um, confuse the impact of trauma on sexuality and later mm-hmm. uh, the decision to either be adopt one sexual orientation or, or, or the other mm-hmm. to the those who genuinely adopt one sexual orientation to the other not as a result of trauma right so I think that must be distinguished uh, from uh, trauma informed, decisions um so for somebody who is using substances for example we have two different kinds um, um in, in as far as trauma is concerned the person who is using it to cope with their trauma the impact of trauma and the one who's not suffered trauma but you know made a life choice decision to use substances for whatever reasons that um might be might be behind that decision um, so both will be seen in the light of using substances, but the um, the underlying factors will be different. You know, I hope I, I'm making myself yeah, clear. Yeah, you are. And, and I'm, I'm I'm thinking about how 
yeah as a world we love to speak too much and be the Einsteins and explain and yes. whatnot and how easily we can actually make those mistakes so basically should we we should just refrain from trying to bring in links between trauma and you know sexual orientation yeah so i mean deal with the trauma and help the person manage it with a trauma-informed care or a trauma-informed way of support where um you are not you're not going to say do it this way or do it that way. One of the things about trauma-informed care is understanding that the uh, expressions and, and the reactions the person is putting up is is actually in in reaction to the trauma that they've, they've uh, experienced. And one of the things is to let a person understand that these are the things that you are expressing because of these, the, the, this trauma that you have experienced and help them work through it. Once you help them work through it and develop coping strategies, um, they're then able to um, have a situation where their symptoms are manageable by themselves and and they can cope with life stresses and begin to come out of it. Uh, invariably, majority of people, you know, get uh, their symptoms resolve over time. Um, but there's this tiny bit of uh, bit of the population that will still continue to uh, to be impacted heavily by the, um, the the kind of trauma, especially those who've gone through chronic and you know complex traumas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc, let's talk about rejection, and I know you spoke about rejection in the context of child and parent but but how much more can we learn about rejection from the context of you know relationship yes yes tony trying to toast or to propose to someone and i get rejected and if that keeps on happening itself like what what impact can that have on tony going forward because i'm thinking Clearly, it might affect me in a, in in a sense that whoever I might find next, I might want to pour out the love that has been rejected in the past. So, also not sort of looking at that situation whether am I even safe in it or not safe. In it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the difficulty with the definition of trauma that people might think every situation that is terrible to them is um can provoke trauma mm. but i think the emphasis is on a catastrophic event mm. a, a, an event that is life-changing you know uh in terms of uh, people rejection uh, of the issue of rejection uh in in the context of relationship um, you know proposing to uh someone that you've fallen in love with or you believe that you love and they said no um I struggle to see how catastrophic that might be to provoke a trauma, but definitely it is severe enough um, to to cause a grief, uh, maybe in some people, mm. and might cause. Um, but in grief, m- how? Because because the about loss. But here, here's I'm not. A, I know that something I've never had. Yeah. Yes. So it's 
the disappointment mm. in, in, in not having that uh, could provoke some emotional responses um, that could manifest as you know sadness, depression, shame, um, and inadequacy. So people tend to question, and if it's happened, you know, one, two, three, too many, um, the person might question them their 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 adequacy and self esteem, you know, and confidence. All of those things might crush. And that might impact their interaction with the um, subsequent person that they would meet or the kind of um, gender or that they are pursuing and might decide that they want to either be by themselves or, you know, mm. take on another route uh, that might be helpful to them. Uh, but it does impact if uh, it does impact people's um, emotional well-being. But like you know, many people come out of it. But if you're struggling with it and it's it's causing you a lot of uh, emotional distress, you need to talk to someone. You need to you know talk to an expert, a counselor, um, and get help. It it might be a reflection of the person's own coping skills. It might be a reflection of the person's underlying vulnerabilities um, that might predispose them to uh, emotional challenges or um, mental health problems um, that could be triggered by some of these events in their lives. So mm -hmm. they need to talk to a counselor, they need to talk to a therapist or anyone in, in, in mental health or their GP um, to see what what are the services that they can access to help them, and I'm sure it can cause also a bit of confusion as far as you say. It will depend on how cases catastrophic the rejection is. Yes, but in this context, you you do not sort of align it much more with trauma, but it might no. trigger grief. And I'm thinking in the context where let's say one already is dealing with maybe other forms of trauma, and that comes as an addition to that. It might create a bit of a so that that's where the complexities can can mm. come um, when somebody has experienced trauma and then they are in a situation that you know triggers memories of the trauma and the experiences they've had um, it makes it difficult to move forward so it, it could be a trigger of underlying issues including mm. people who suffered trauma um, in the past. Mm. And let's speak about accountability, dog, as part of the needed mechanism or whatnot to, to sort of address issues of trauma. And I'm talking about accountability in a sense that, and I don't know, I know that it might not be easy for so many people. So here's one. It's either you've been hurt in the past, but you want to move along. Sitting back into that pain may not really bring you to the complete healed self or whatever the case but now accountability in a sense that i now have to see see to myself that i have to get up and you know be strong for myself you know not accountability in the sense of saying let me look for someone to can blame or whatever the case so how would you say accountability is 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 needed in this case um 
on on the different forms, whether it's one who's been molested or whether it's one who experienced rejection or 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 whatever the case may be. When when it has to do with the core causes of trauma like molestation, bullying, um, you know, catastrophic events in the person's life, um, if it did occur at a younger age, it's really difficult to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, those subgroup of people might need ongoing supports and, and treatment through therapy. Um, there is no pharmacologic pill that would solve it. One that has been found to be effective is through psychotherapy or trauma-informed therapy or what they call a trauma-informed care uh, model. So that person needs to seek help because you would find that there is dysfunction in various aspects of your life. And especially for those who develop PTSD, they need to seek help or people help them to seek that help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the majority of people, it's short-lived. Um, like I gave an example of myself. It didn't last more than up to a month and it was gone. It didn't last more than that. Uh, and then, you know, you go on with your life without any impact whatsoever from um, that, that incident or that catastrophic incident. So in terms of wanting to move forward, move on with your life, it actually depends on your recognizing your coping strategies, recognizing what you can do for yourself and being honest that I cannot do these things, these other things, and that I need help mm-hmm. to do, um, to go on with my life. If you identify those areas, then you can seek the appropriate help. But for the majority of people, like I said, you know, it resolves and they're able to move on. Mm. But now, what, what, what can you say, Doc, to, you know, our African community at large, those who do not want to go speak to someone, they don't want to talk to someone. Um, is there any other ways to deal I with think, trauma? And I'm thinking also if we, we are to think on our decolonial project again, if there's any ways that trauma used to be dealt with in the past, as far as you can recollect looking at the history of your work. I think that um, within the African context, one of the sad things is that people who've experienced trauma, uh, depending on the nature of the trauma, are either shamed, uh, humiliated when they bring up, especially sexual assault. Mm. Uh, and that prevents a lot of people from seeking that help. Um, even when they've gone to, you know, a therapist or a counselor or a doctor, they wouldn't mention, you know, the particular trauma or they wouldn't want to discuss it. Um, for men, African men, it's seen as a sign of weakness uh, in a lot of the subcultures across Africa. And... Um, but I think that it is time that we say seeking help is a sign of strength, is courage, is it is admirable. And I would encourage anyone who is any in a situation like that to voice out, to come out, um, ask for the help, talk to somebody, 
and get their lives back because not talking about it will eat you away. It would impact, continue to impact you negatively. And you find that you're having difficulties in multiple areas of your life. And you keep on making, you know, uh, other mistakes based on those impaired functions on on the, 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 the areas of your life that are affected. So coming out to seek help is actually strength in, in, my, in my view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the worldview that we should uh, come out and seek, seek help um, and not to hold on to our own fears and ideas that, you know, I don't want people to know. Um, seeking help in an appropriate manner would protect your privacy, your confidentiality, and, mm. and all that. So it's not just about going to talk to just anybody on the street or someone you think would go talking about your issues to another person, but a professional who can help you. Mm. Are, are there things that people should be prepared for when they now go to seek the help? Because sometimes, you know, I feel like People may want to seek help, but the minute then they, because no one prepares them, that what is it that you, you, you have to expect the minute you go to seek help? And then you find that when they have to revisit memory in terms of now telling whatever happened, if they have to start from there, then it becomes a very difficult situation. So how how can we prepare one? What is it that people should know whenever they, they have to, they, they're trying to get help? I think for from the African perspective, you before you engage any therapist, one is to check out the background of who you're going to see. Uh, do they have experience with the African, uh, you know, group or population, or do they have specific training uh, with minority groups in Australia? Um, I know there are some, some Caucasian um, clinicians who have dedicated themselves to, you know, helping, you know, refugees uh, from various parts of the world, uh, including Africa. And such people do have a deep understanding of the cultural impact and uh, presentations of people uh, from from these parts of, of, of the world who have moved on, who moved into Australia. Um, having said that, uh, there are others with indigenous knowledge that can can transfer to people of African descent mm-hmm. uh, because there can I think there are a lot of similarities between the indigenous culture and I mean indigenous Australian culture and 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 people coming from sub-Saharan Africa. So um, one good thing is you know check out whether the person has some measure of uh, or a good measure of understanding of the of the cultural milieu that you're coming from and can offer you culturally appropriate and uh, culturally appropriate and trauma informed care tailored to you and to to the kind of environment that you are coming from I think the challenge for many people of African descent is they feel that they are misunderstood um, and the, the communication 
is not on the same page when mm. they meet a, a, a therapist. Mm. And because they are misunderstood, um, diagnosis or, or coming up with what really are the issues become problematic. Um, so by misunderstood, do you mean in the terms of language, accent, or in the terms of um, it, the body itself and how the thinking pattern, it's a combination? It's a combination. Uh, but more importantly, on the context, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the context of the experiences uh, that they have, they have, I've had people. I've seen people from war-torn zones uh, as refugees who've struggled to explain their experiences to people who don't understand how things have happened there. Uh, the the African situation, uh, the African way of coping. Uh, and sometimes I even see, um, might even uh, label those coping strategies as maladaptive because they do not conform, they do not see them as conforming to you know laid down guidelines. But then, if somebody with uh, good knowledge of the um, uh, good indigenous knowledge or knowledge of the subgroup that we 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 are in. Um, might be able to draw parallels between what the guidelines are and the symptoms that the person is presenting and be able to interpret them in that light and get them the appropriate help. So somebody who is presenting with headaches, uh, especially an African who is presenting with headache or the burning sensation uh, of the skin um, and, and complains to you that when I sleep on my bed, it's like fire. Um, a cook- Somebody you know who's who's not had that experience with them might think is a neurological problem, mm-hmm. uh, but they might be expressing somatization from a psychological distress point of view, mm-hmm. and we know that many black sub-Saharan Africans do express, um, you know, about fifty percent. Uh, I with um, research findings back home showed that people complained of headache, 50% of them are actually telling you I'm depressed or I'm struggling with depression. And when you went into the emotional review mm. with them, then you get the the sense of why they're having headaches or they are experiencing a, a certain kind of stress that is impacting their sleep hygiene, uh, impacting their mental well-being. And a way out is this chronic headache or a headache that keeps coming and doesn't seem to respond to anything. Uh, so somatization could be missed, uh, uh, understood by somebody who doesn't know the typical presentation of some of the things that um, uh, people of African descent you know, go through. I like the fact that in what you're saying, you're speaking to both me as an ordinary person who might need the help, but also you're actually speaking to also medical practitioner, whoever's going to listen to this episode so they understand, you know, the complexities and the overlap. And I'm wondering from what you just said now, um, if we are to add also the element of uh, spirituality in the context of someone saying maybe their ancestors are speaking to me or I haven't been observant enough, it's not necessarily a matter of I need Western medication or I just need to do a certain ritual or whatnot. How often does that come across in your work where you discover that, We've tried everything, you know, revisiting, you know, memory or feelings or whatnot, but this has much more to do maybe with, 
you know, one having to respond to their ancestors or whatever the case. Yeah. Um, many, many first generation African immigrants um, are deeply rooted, uh, maybe deeply rooted, let me say, not are, but maybe yeah. deeply rooted in the, in the um, prevailing belief systems, including, um, you know, belief in ancestral spirits. And um, person who is presenting with complex symptoms of trauma and experiencing pseudo-psychotic symptoms, that's false psychotic symptoms, um, you know, thoughts in their heads, they're hearing voices, you know, muffled or not, in clear, in clear terms or not might attribute it to ancestral spirit. They might even hear their grandmother in the village who is talking to them every day and they might express it to a, a therapist who would say, oh, well, you probably have psychosis and, and, and this is probably an expression of a complex trauma, somebody with a complex PTSD mm -hmm. and, uh, and if you do not delve much into it, you wouldn't know that they are uh, expressing similar symptoms that um, uh, a Caucasian or white Australian uh, would be expressing in other ways. Mm -hmm. You know, I've come across people who have been said, you know, African descent um, uh, uh, patients who've been said to be depressed and they're not suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. They're actually having very severe psychotic uh, symptoms, but they they look actually look depressed they they actually present like um with what um other doctors or clinicians would consider to be a picture of depression mm -hmm. but then when you delve into and 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 talk to them in a culturally appropriate way you're then able to elicit the symptoms that actually tell you that this person is um, having a psychotic breakdown and not just a depression so if, if you can continue from there, Doc, you were talking about um, what people need to, how people have to prepare themselves, and you hammered a lot on doing a background of the person they're going to consult with. I don't think you were done with sort of doing that. Yes, so um, I said that it is important for you to know the background of the person, um, have an understanding of their experiences. They don't necessarily need to have had formal teaching, but if they've worked with the African community um, extensively, chances are that they understand um, what to expect. And of course, they can offer you a culturally appropriate um, care. And having done that, then you should be able to engage. Um, if you're in an environment where it's difficult to get somebody with such exposure, um, you may want to uh, express yourself in, in, in clear terms in a way that a person can understand. But if you're having difficulty and you you will know that you are not connecting with your with your therapist, it mm -hmm. is important to seek another one out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that the ideal is to find somebody with an expertise in that mm -hmm. area. Fortunately, we are having a few uh, people of African descent in this in this space of uh, mental health, mm -hmm. and you can seek them out as well. And preparedness to open up 
Yes, you should be prepared to uh, uh, open up. I think one key thing is how how connected and confident or trust you would have in your therapist as well. Uh, But how much your 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 clinician can help you depends on how much you open up and are prepared to. to so it is important to speak the truth. It, in, to get it the is help. important to speak the truth, um, and uh, open up as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people with trauma, it's not as easy mm-hmm. for them to meet you the first time and and open up. It takes time, mm-hmm. so it takes building of trust building of a therapeutic relationship that uh, empowers the the patient or the client to be able to open up so in as much as that the person wants to open up uh, it is not as simple as said so we should be mindful of that relatives and, and next of kings and carers who are giving support must not think, oh, we've got you, um, somebody you go and you don't talk. Sometimes it will take weeks, sometimes months to break the ice and to be able to even, you know, divulge some sensitive things that they've kept to themselves that is impacting them, um, especially when it has to do with sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And most especially, or more especially, when the, the culprit is next door still with the person or still living there it is a a huge issue Mm. but i think that we should be open to there are services a lot of services especially regarding abuses and victims um, and we should be open to utilizing them i guess from what you're saying that's where i sort of picked up the line accountability Earlier on, if you remember, I spoke a bit yes. of accountability. The fact that you, you remain accountable to yourself, to your healing yes. at some point. Yes. Um, um, there's a guy, uh, David Gawkins. I don't know if you, you may have heard of him, who actually wrote the book, You Can't uh, Can Hurt Me. Um, he actually speaks more about, uh, so in the book, he speaks more about how to deal with childhood trauma. Um, and he addresses different things that happened to him being raised in a family where there was sort of more of domestic violence and whatnot and what that means to him growing up. But now he has to learn that aspect of accountability to himself, the fact yeah. that uh, for me to be better, I have to go in this all out. You know? yes. uh, and and one other thing that, that um, you know, goes along with accountability is awareness mm. and education mm. acquiring the knowledge um seeking out and knowing what is happening to you that look these that i'm experiencing could be as a result of a trauma that i experienced mm-hmm. and therefore you would need somebody with a trauma informed uh, way of treating people right mm. how are we lending this dog well I would say, uh, for me, take home is that trauma is real. People respond to catastrophic events in their lives in various ways. There is no one single way of uh, response. It is um, a natural way of responding. The body, you know, reacts to protect you, and in in the brain actually reacts to protect you in a catastrophic situation. But in doing so, sometimes it goes overboard, and that's when we get. Uh, 
uh, trauma effects and it is both a physical response as as well as emotional psychological response mm -hmm. now majority would go away within a short time especially if you experience it during adult adulthood but for children that might linger on for a long time and we need to get them help even for adults who have prolonged uh, reaction to the stressor that they've experienced for months and it's going on years um, they should um, you know put themselves out there and get help doc thank you so much so that is it visions and tones uh dr gordon donair sharing with us on trauma today and um, you may want to visit the previous episode on griefs for some of the things that we were talking about here in this episode to make sense to you but um, I want to wish you all the best as you listen to both episodes and please make sure that you watch around those who are around you and also look after your own mental health um, if you just if you if you if you think you need help speak to someone and you basically know that you need help sometimes but do not sit in silence speak to someone and if you see other people around you struggling try by all means to reach out to them and dr donair spoke a lot on the episode on grief and even the first episode on mental health that reaching out to them doesn't mean you have to now act as the psychologist you can be the contact point where you lead them with the right professional people but I want to wish you all the best and thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in our next episode and we are out.